Welcome, church, to episode 13 of our series in the book of Romans. And actually, next week is going to be the season finale. Can you believe it? Entire summer in the book of Romans. It's been so incredible for me personally, and I pray it has for you as well. Well, the title of this sermon is Unity, Not Uniformity. We're going to be in Romans chapter 14, so if you have your Bible at home, I want to encourage you to open it there, Romans chapter 14. We're going to be reading a selection of verses uh, throughout our time together in God's Word. And, And this idea of unity, not uniformity, it really comes out of a main question that is being addressed here in this chapter we're going to look at today and seek to find an answer to, and that is this. How do I, how do I deal with and handle people that I disagree with? What an important question. How do I handle people that I disagree with? I had to face this very question this past week in our office in Brickell. Our office is in a co-working space in the Brickell area. And during the lunch hour, I went into the kitchen, the cafe area, and there was a discussion. And the discussion was really more of a a debate what is the best pizza place in Miami? Now, I have very strong opinions, a conviction, you could say, on the best pizza in Miami, which is Mr. 01. That is the best pizza. It's not a debate. It's so much better than every other place that it's not even worth debating. But there was other people that had disagreeing opinions. One person said Little Caesars. I, w- I was shook. Then my friend said, listen, I just want it to be known here that I think McDonald's cheeseburgers are better than Shake Shack. I looked at him and said, I think I'm going to have to actually leave Pipeline, cancel our membership, don't know if I could be here. But I had to fight for unity even though there was not uniform agreement on the best pizza or the best fast food burger. You know, it's easy for us to be united with people and in relationship with people when we disagree on superficial things on pizza and food and other things. But it is a struggle to seek unity and to be in relationship, to be in community with people when you have deep convictions where the other person disagrees. How do I handle that? But we know it's vital. And here's why we know it's vital. It's vital because Jesus prays for our unity. He says that it's a distinct marker of the people of God. We are people who are are meant to be united even though we are not uniform in all of our thoughts and convictions and opinions and preferences. Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, right before he goes to the cross, he prays for his church, he prays for us, he prays for unity. Why? Because unity is not easy to find amidst a non-uniform community. Meaning when you have a diverse community with diverse preferences and diverse thoughts and opinions on different matters, unity is difficult. It's much more comfortable for us to just be around people who think like us and act like us and behave like us. In fact, it seems like our, our fallen nature got, gravitates towards just orbiting with people that are just like us, to create echo chambers. Think back into high school. In high school, cliques are formed around uniform interests or uniform realities. It's a stereotype, but it's true. You have the jocks, you have the nerds, 
you have the gamers, you have the cheerleaders, you have the good-looking, you have the smart, intelligent ones, you have the theater kids. Uniform interests, uniform realities create these communities. Even our social media now is feeding this proclivity of ours to just want to hear things that align with our convictions. Facebook, its algorithm actually is giving you what it thinks you want to hear and removing dissenting opinion, which kind of has created something in our world. This world that we live in now where we are so many times in echo chambers and we struggle to to handle, to tolerate relationships and communities when there's dissenting opinions, especially if they're important opinions to us. It's created the world that we live in, which is one that feels very divided, very polarized. There's actually this kind of new brand, I think, of fundamentalism that's happening in our world today. And it's not just in the church, it's in the broader culture at large. And it's this double rejection fundamentalism. It's not simply just the rejection of beliefs and policies and positions that you disagree with, right? Fundamentalism is oftentimes defined different ways, but really the way I'm thinking of it is strict adherence to a specific set of beliefs and practices and policies and positions and wholesale rejection of everything that does not fit neatly in that framework. So we have kind of a double rejection that is happening in our, our world today where we not only ha- have communities and people and just kind of the acceptance to reject dissenting opinions and convictions, but to actually also reject the people that support them. You're either 100% with me or you're 100% against me. So what an important question that is addressed here in Romans chapter 14. How do I handle, how do I engage with, how do I seek unity with somebody that I disagree with. I love a quote that's oftentimes attributed to St. Augustine. And it's not really known if it is his quote, but it speaks to who we are to be as the church. It says this, In essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. And in all things, charity. We are people of charity and people of grace people of unity. So the Apostle Paul speaks to this. Let's look at verse 1 in Romans chapter 14. He says, as for those, as for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. Do not quarrel over opinions. Opinions are things that we disagree on. They're preferences, debated things. Apostle Paul says, welcome those that you disagree with, you have different opinions. Now, Scripture is clear elsewhere that there are times to divide. There, division at times is necessary. The Apostle Paul speaks about this in the book of Galatians. He says that uh, you need to be mindful and to be divided against people who are preaching another gospel. In 1 Corinthians, he speaks about uh, if there's people within the community of God that are willfully engaging in immorality without remorse, that there needs to be a division from the community. 
The Apostle Luke as well picks this up in the book of Revelation where he warns against people that add or remove from God's Word. See, there are essential things that we should divide. But oftentimes we divide on non-essential things too. One helpful way to think about it comes from a theologian by the name of Michael Byrd. He talks about three types of matters within the church, three levels of importance in matters within the church. The first level is the essential level. These are the essentials, and these are matters pertaining to salvation. So this is who is Jesus? Why did he die? What is the way to salvation? The gospel of grace and not works. Matters pertaining to salvation are essential, and there is division here, understandably, because they're non-negotiables. Then you have the second level, which is I'm calling non-essential essentials. These are matters pertaining to faith and practice within the church. They are important. They are vital. They are necessary. But they are not essential to salvation. So think doctrine and beliefs and standards that are not pertaining to salvation but are agreed upon or arrived at through interpretation. They are important. They are vital. They're not essential to salvation. So they're a lesser level of importance. And there's oftentimes division that takes place, and it's understandable. This is where we get denominations. In fact, I think that some of the division that takes place on this level, non-essential essentials, is actually to seek broader unity. Because it could be difficult to really seek unity on these differing interpretation of doctrine. But then we have the third level, the lowest level of importance, and these are non-essential things. Non-essential matters, preferences, opinions, debated things. And here is where we really see the church dividing, sadly, even in the past two years, in profound ways. Where there's a rejection not only of the differing opinion or belief or conviction, but a rejection of the person that supports them. And Jesus prays for our unity. And the Apostle Paul says, listen, we need to be people that welcome others in. And he's urging us here to show restraint. And and that is because we believe that God's word is true, that God's word provides wisdom. It provides healthy perspective. But God's word does not always provide an answer to every tension point and every conviction that we have as we navigate this world. Because God's word is It's like a portrait, and it also is full of principles. So a portrait is a very detailed thing. It gives you a very clear look. These are the essentials and the the non-essential essentials, doctrine and the matters pertaining to salvation. This is a portrait. You look into Scripture. It's very clear. It's very detailed. And then your arrival even at doctrine of those non-essential essentials is through clear interpretation and clear looking into God's word but then there is wisdom which is principles guiding wisdom applying God's word into the situations that you find yourself into tension points where you're arriving at convictions and opinions based upon principles 
not necessarily very detailed and clear answers to what is the right position to hold. The Apostle Paul is saying that we need to be people of unity, in particular on non-essential matters, applying wisdom but welcoming people in. Here's a general rule I think is helpful. If you cannot cite a chapter and verse for your conviction, you should show restraint. Because a principle is being applied and not necessarily a very clear portrait of what is true and right. So the Apostle Paul is speaking about this to the church in Rome because they have these debates going on on non-essential things. What's happening in the church there? Well, he says this in verse 2. Verse 2 says, One person believes that he may eat anything while the weak person eats only vegetables. So you're like, what's, what's going on here? It, it's, a, it's a carnivore versus vegetarian battle. You're imagining, is it like the church potluck going on and the carnivore side is throwing racks of lamb on the grill and they're looking over at the vegetarians and then the vegetarians are like, oh yeah, and they have homemade hummus with a little bit of olive oil and fresh cut carrots and they're kind of battling out who's doing it right, who has a better healthy lifestyle. No. What's taking place here is that in Rome, there are temples everywhere. And these temples have idols, these statues that people would come and sacrifice food to, among other things. But oftentimes what's sacrificed is meat. So they would sacrifice this meat and offer it as a, as a blessing and as an offering to this statue. And the statue obviously can't eat the meat. So after a period of time, they'd take the meat and they would sell it in the marketplace. So those that are vegetarian, their conviction is that because they don't know which meat in the market was offered to these different false gods and idols, they don't feel comfortable eating meat at all, so they choose to eat only vegetables. While those that eat the meat, they believe that they're free in Christ, those are false gods, it has no effect, there's no real blessing on those on the meat in the market, and so they eat. And they feel no conviction doing so. But that's not the only issue. In verse 5, we have another issue in the church. It says this, One person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The other debate in the church is that the Jewish Christians say that you should be worshiping on Saturday. That's the Sabbath. That's the most holy day of the week. It is a more important day than any other day, while the others in the church are saying, no, 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 all the days are the same. It doesn't matter. We can worship on Saturday or Sunday or Monday. It does not matter. All days are alike. And so the Apostle Paul here, as he comes in and he says, I, I want you to not divide over opinions, but I want you to welcome people in. Here's what he's not saying. He's not saying everyone has their own truth and you just need to accept that that is their truth to eat vegetables and your truth is to eat meat or your truth is to worship on Saturday and the, your truth is every day is the same and just accept everybody's truth, figure out how to get along and if not, maybe you just kind of divide out and have your own separate communities. He's not saying that. In fact, he has very strong convictions himself. Look what he says here in verse 14. 
verse 14, he says, I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. He's speaking about the food. See, the Apostle Paul is on team carnivore. He believes that it is perfectly acceptable to eat the meat. In fact, in verse 2, and in verse 1, he speaks about as well, he calls those that eat only vegetables weak. Now, is that a derogatory label that he's placed on those that are eating only vegetables? No. The reason he's mentioning it in that way that they are weak is he's speaking about the necessity of those that have arrived at what he says is a more mature understanding of how you can engage in the marketplace and the foods that you can eat because no food is unclean. You're no longer bound by those things because you're free in Christ. That those that have a different conviction, the gospel and its truth still needs to apply to their life. There's a weakness there. So he's urging restraint and he's urging patience and he's urging that they're welcomed in. That they see the necessity of gospel truth and biblical wisdom to be applied with those that are still growing in that. You see, what the Apostle Paul does here is he begins to model in this chapter what it looks like to apply God's Word the truth of God's word and the gospel of grace into these tension points in your life, into these difficult discussions and a differing of conviction that you may have with people that you are called to seek unity with. He's going to say that the answer is not to say, this is all, all, the, all these non-essential convictions, you either accept them or you get out. He's not going to encourage uniformity, but rather unity. Welcome them in. Accept them. And I wanted to talk a little bit about the difficulty for unity that we face today in 2021. I think a lot of times we speak about unity in this general sense that we're just called to, to seek unity with our brothers and sisters in Christ. The church should be united. We should be, but we never really go into specifics. Wouldn't it be more fun if we talked about some specifics today? I think it would. So I want to talk about four levels. Certainly there's many more things. But four levels of matters, or matters pertaining to the church, on non-essential matters. Now these are things that we're asking God's God's wisdom and the principles of Scripture to apply into so that we have, we hold convictions that are right and are true. But there's a debate among these things. So four levels, fourth level is max level, okay? Level one is a debate that you will find in the church. And these are, I would imagine, are true also of Crossbridge. And the call on all four of these levels is to seek unity and not uniformity. Level one is song selection and worship environment. A lot of churches face this. There are the, we need more hymns. Then there is the, we need more future feeling music. There's a difference of conviction and belief. There is the church service and its liturgy should be shaped around the preferences of the people in the room. 
versus we need to be thinking about how to reach the next generation. There is online church was necessary for a season, but now that we can be in person, we should not dedicate resources there versus we need to consider how to reach people in this new landscape of online church, and we need to dedicate resources there. Difference of opinion, different preferences, both sides arrive there through applying principles of God's word to those convictions. And we need to be seeking unity, not uniformity. That's level one. Level two, alcohol. Often debated in many churches, one side says, of course, yes, you are free to use alcohol, but it's not wise. You should not consume alcohol on any level because though you are free to do all things, it is not profitable. And so you should refrain from it because of the effects and the consequences that it can have on your own life, but also as a concern for others that you may be around that struggle with alcoholism. So you don't want to cause your brother to stumble, which comes from this chapter as well, and so you don't drink in public settings in particular. You refrain, and this is the healthy and right Christian approach. Versus the other side that says, no, no, you're free to engage in alcohol, you're free to drink alcohol, and as an opportunity to witness to the world and to others how to handle it with responsibility, it's okay if you desire to drink. In fact, Scripture itself says that God has made wine as a drink that gladdens the heart. In the book of Psalms, and Jesus himself drank. So there's difference of opinion, but we're to seek unity, not uniformity. Level three, your child's education. Homeschool versus private Christian school versus public school, which is the right and Christian approach to education. Difference of opinion, difference of preferences, often debated. The homeschool and oftentimes a private Christian school will say, why would you let the state educate your child? Keep your child at home or put your child in a private Christian school where you can protect them and you can guard their heart and you can ensure that they're going to be raised with a biblical worldview. You need to nurture them in the name of the Lord and the ways of God. This is the right approach versus the other side. No, you need to bring your children into the public school system so that you can walk alongside of them as they face temptation in the home and that they could see how the biblical worldview and how the gospel applies into particular situations. You need to teach your children how to be salt and light, how to be in the world and not of the world. This is the right approach. Applying principles of God's word to different situations. We should be seeking unity in this as a church, not uniformity. Now, level four. Are you ready for level four? Politics. Politics. One non-essential that we divide over as the church so easily. Democrat versus Republican. Hear things like this. I cannot imagine a Christian that votes for a party that supports fill-in-the-blank. Now, oftentimes the people that say these things will not even associate with somebody, even though they are of the kingdom of God and of the same church. They're people of God because of a different in, difference in party affiliation. I cannot imagine that you as a Christian could support 
a party that ignores fill in the blank or says fill in the blank. We should be seeking unity, not uniformity. I'm going to take it a step further, okay? Trump supporter versus never Trump. A lot of division on that. One side may say, I I was not a fan of Trump's rhetoric or his Twitter, which doesn't have anymore. But with the alternatives, I believe that he was the best alternative and that he did good things for the common good and for people. And I pray and I trust that God used him like King Cyrus in the Old Testament. While the other side says, I cannot imagine how a Christian can vote for or support Trump because of his severe ethical compromises, the the way that he speaks about people, some of the things that are reflected in his character. And I think that in fact, it's not only hard for me to fathom supporting that candidate, but also I think it hurts the witness of the church. Applying principles to conviction and debate. We should be seeking unity, not uniformity. I'm going to go one step further, okay? Woke versus I'd rather go broke. There's a lot of division and debate happening right now within the church on this. A lot of desire to seek uniformity. One side says we should be open-minded, we should be engaging and listening to the different ideologies and theories and thoughts within the world. Because as we understand this, believing in God's common grace, we may gain some understanding, we may gain credibility, there may be growth, that we should think about engaging these things in a way where we want to eat the meat and spit out the bones. While the other side says there is nothing at all redeemable about any woke ideology. That we should stay away from them. That they are dangerous. We should not associate with them in any way. In fact, the church should stand boldly against anything that is labeled such. Because it's a threat and it's a danger. Applying principles to these convictions And oftentimes, not seeking unity, but uniformity. Now listen, I know several of the things I have said and others you have strong convictions on. And you have, I'm sure you've debated these things with friends, maybe with people within this church, maybe with people online, within the past week, within the past year. And here's what I want to say. We as a church are to seek unity and not uniformity. One of the things I love about Crossbridge is that we are diverse. Diverse ethnically, in age, economics, political views, views on your child's education, cultural upbringing, church denomination upbringing. Whether you like cats or dogs, We are diverse, and we should celebrate that and seek unity, not uniformity. Now listen, the Apostle Paul wants to give you very clear instructions on how you do this. And I want to encourage you to write these things down, or if you've downloaded our app, to go there, check out the notes, and read these. 
because I think you're going to be encouraged by the path to unity and not uniformity, even with those very difficult things that cause a lot of division and a lot of debate that I just mentioned that we face even today. So the first thing that the Apostle Paul gives you as a guide for how to handle situations and relationships where you have disagreement on convictions is that he tells you that you are in fact to hold your convictions. You're to hold convictions. You're not just to say, well, I don't really have any convictions and I don't want to cause any conflict and I don't want to have any debate or disagreement. No, no, no. You're to hold your convictions. We already have seen that the Apostle Paul shares his convictions. He's team carnivore. In the book of Colossians, he shares that all days are alike. He shares his convictions. He doesn't shrink back. You're not called just to leave your convictions aside and fit and form to the majority conviction of a community. You're not called to keep your convictions quiet unless they're accepted by most people. You're not called to change your convictions just because someone is telling you to, or even if a pastor has a different opinion than you on a non-essential matter. You're to hold to your convictions. Verse 5 and 6, he says this. As we read before, one person esteems one day as better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God, while the one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. See, what he's, he's saying here is that you should not change your conviction until you're fully convinced. His encouragement here is, hey, listen, if you are on team vegetables, continue in that conviction unless you're fully convinced that you can eat meat because you're giving it as an, you're honoring the Lord in that conviction. And if you are on team Saturday worship, hold to that conviction until you're fully convinced that all days are alike because it's an, an, you're honoring the Lord in that. In fact, here's what the Apostle Paul is going to say. If you have a conviction even on a non-essential matter as he's discussing here, if you have a conviction and you go against it because you felt you know, forced to or you felt uncomfortable, maybe because your position wasn't widely held, if you hold a conviction and you go against it, you're in sin. Look what he says in verse 23. So interesting. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats because the eating is not from faith for whatever does not proceed from faith is a sin. So what he's saying to the community here, if you go and eat meat from the market but you still have a conviction that you should not and you should only be eating vegetables, if you go eat the meat, you're in sin. Even though he's already said that eating meat is not a sin in itself, you are free to do that. But if your conviction is different and you go against your conviction, you're in sin. Why? Because that's a character issue. You're not acting out of integrity. He wants you to hold to your convictions. But he also wants you to challenge your convictions. Hold to them, but challenge them. 
You see, all of our convictions are a byproduct of our experiences, of mentors, of parents, of pastors, of consequences we face, of fears we have, of comfort we enjoy. Our convictions are a byproduct of these things. And not all of our convictions are a byproduct of God's word and his truth and his wisdom being applied. Not all of them are that way. We need to be constantly applying the gospel to our convictions because as we saw weeks ago, we have died to sin, but sin is not dead to us. We are, we are still struggling with the realities of sin upon our life even though we have died to sin in Christ. And so we need to be willing to challenge our convictions you know, we live in a, in a culture of extremes where you're either 100% with me or you're 100% against me. And it's not only just wholesale rejection of people that don't agree with you, it's also the need to try to convert people to your conviction. Such self-righteousness. To never even take a moment to, take a, to stop and say, let me challenge my convictions. See, Jesus shares a parable about two different people that pray. A Pharisee, a religious leader, and a tax collector who would have been rich but outcasted by society. He says the Pharisee comes and, and prays, God, thank you for not making me like those people. While the tax collector comes and prays, not even looking up, God, have mercy on me. I am a sinner. What is the right approach? The approach of humility. God, I, I, I'm a sinner. Have mercy on me. Listen, we need to be secure enough in our faith in Christ. Secure enough in our identity in Christ to be wrong. We need to know that we're wrong. All of us know that we've been wrong before. We need to be okay with being wrong. We need to be people to say, I am a sinner. Have mercy on me, God. I'm, I'm open to challenging my convictions. I don't want to be a person of self-righteousness because there is no place for self-righteousness in the Christian faith. We have been given the righteousness of Christ. We, the righteousness that we have is not our own. It's Christ's righteousness given to us. Therefore, self-righteousness should not exist. We have to be open to challenging our convictions, which should lead us, thirdly, to a pathway of peace, a pathway of peace with people. Look at verse 3. He says, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. He says, listen, we're to be people of peace. Because God has welcomed all of us in with our different opinions and even our dissenting opinions. He has welcomed us all in. We are his people. And we need to practice patience and practice peace with one another. I know for me, my thoughts and my convictions have changed over time. Haven't yours? And if I think about how that took place, 
and how I, I received insight and wisdom from God, and I saw how God's truth and his principles applied to my convictions or my opinions on certain things. If I really look, you know what I find? The reason I've arrived at a place where I have a conviction that I feel strong in and I feel like is God's wisdom to me is because God was gracious to me. Which means we need to be gracious with people. We need to be people of peace. Knowing that sometimes it takes time. We should be patient. Whenever you interact with someone that has a different opinion than you, on a matter that may be important, but it's a non-essential matter. There's no chapter and verse for it. You should be looking at that as an opportunity to love them and not judge them. To say, I want to love them by listening and seeking to understand. Still holding to my conviction. But I also want to love myself by allowing my own conviction to be challenged. And I want to love God by pursuing peace and seeking unity I know it's what Jesus prayed for. In the very next chapter in verse 7, chapter 15, verse 7, the, the Apostle Paul says this, Accept one another just as Christ also accepted you. This will glorify God. Accept one another. Just as you were accepted by Christ, accept other people. This glorifies God. And guess what? Acceptance does not mean agreement. To accept someone, you don't have to agree with everything. You accept them just as Christ accepted you. This is who we are to be. People that accept others, that welcome them in. Especially when we have disagreement on non-essential things. Listen, whenever you cut someone off or you cancel someone because they have a different opinion than you or a different preference than you on a non-essential thing, you are also canceling potential growth in them and potential growth in you. You're canceling that too. We're to be people that welcome others in, that seek unity, not uniformity, that accept others even if we don't agree on certain matters. And when we do these things, when we hold to our convictions, when we challenge our convictions, and when we seek a pathway of peace, you know what we find? Unification and not polarization. Unification and not polarization. So the Apostle Paul says in verse 17, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking. It's not these non-essential things. But of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. The kingdom of God is marked by people that are pursuing righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. It is not marked by people that have uniform thought on these non-essential things. Listen, the kingdom of God is full of people that say hymns please and people that say trap beats. The people of God, the, the kingdom of God is people that say Martinelli's for me and Merlot for me. It's full of people that say homeschool and public school. It's full of people that say I'm a Democrat and I'm a Republican. It is full of people that say I'm woke and people that say nope. It's full of all of those different types of people because listen, though the path that leads to life is narrow, the people that walk the path are varied. 
The path is narrow. There's no debating it. There are essentials that we hold to together as God's people. But the people that walk the path are varied. We have disagreement on things. And our call is to seek unity. And here's what I want to say to you, church. Can we be this church? Can we be a church that holds to our convictions but challenges our convictions and seeks to walk a pathway of peace with people? That we are clear on the essentials, that we hold to those non-essential essentials that we've arrived at by God's grace through interpreting his word because we see God's word is true, but that on non-essential things we are seeking unity, not uniformity. Can we be that church? Because it takes all of us. It takes you to be a part of that type of community, to be a beacon of hope. I love what he says in verse 19. This is a good word to go with you this week. He says, so then let us pursue what makes for peace and mutual upbring or upbuilding. Let us be people that pursue peace and mutual upbuilding. You see, we church in this difficult season and difficult time full of polarization, we have the opportunity to be a beacon of hope, to be peculiar people that are united though we are not uniform. We are peculiar people, united even though we are not uniform. So I want to close by just giving you this action step. Can you do something very simple this week? as you want to pursue peace and mutual upbuilding, can you reach out to somebody that maybe you've cut off, you've canceled, or you've ignored because you had a different opinion on a non-essential matter? Can you reach out to them this week, still holding to your conviction, but being willing to challenge your conviction with them, seeking peace and a restoration of that relationship where you'd be united again? When you accept someone like that and you walk that path, it glorifies God. Let's be that church this week and going forward. Will you pray with me? God, we thank you that you have accepted us. You have made peace with us. We are people of peace because we are at peace in you, Christ. Would we learn how to engage people and stay in relationship with people and be a part of a community where we all don't agree? Would we in fact celebrate that? That we are not uniform, but we're united. I pray that we would be a church known as people that hold to convictions, but we are willing to challenge convictions on non-essential matters and that we will walk the pathway of peace with people. We'd be known as a welcoming church, an accepting church. That we would not only be known as a corporate church in that way, but each one of us in our lives would be seen in that light because this is glorifying to you, God. That's what we want to do. Help us to be peculiar people who are united, but we are not uniform. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.